Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Ready to rock and roll? Recording, and the light is on. It better be recording this time. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. We are commemorating or um, remembering the death of Anne Boleyn. Alex, who have we got on today? So uh, the first part of this, we're going to be talking to Leander Delisle about um, Anne's rise. Uh, she is an author and broadcaster specialising in Tudors and Stuarts and has penned many best-selling books on these periods, including Tudor, which was a history of the entire dynasty, which is impressive. Hello, how are you? How's lockdown? It's great, thank you. I'm all right. I'm very lucky because I'm in the countryside, so I can go out into the garden. I've got um, two of my children, adult children at home, uh, so I've got plenty of company, got my husband. Yeah, it's all right. And I'm a writer, so I you know, live in permanent self-isolation, pretty much. <laughs> so true. And actually, your boys have had it, haven't they? Yes, um, they have. Um, the younger one had uh, no sense of taste or smell, which sort of slightly worried me when he arrived or rather just annoyed me because I thought oh my god I've just bought a really nice bottle of wine and he's not going to appreciate it. <laughs> it was only later that I discovered it's supposed to be a symptom of uh, coronavirus so I was worried he was a bit of a plague rat but he somehow managed to avoid giving it to me so uh, oh well that's good forgiven um right so let's talk about Anne uh for someone who we knew so much intimate detail about certain parts of her life we know basically nothing about her birth do we we don't even know what year it was no she was born into sort of relative obscurity I mean certainly no one ever expected uh, in a million years that she would end up this little girl this baby girl would end up as queen of England it had only happened uh, once before uh, and that was uh, with actually Henry VIII's um, grandmother. She was a, an English commoner, uh, and that may be what uh, helped encourage him later uh, to choose uh, to marry an English commoner himself. Um, but I think um, she was probably born around 1500. That's the sort of date I would come down on. It's the date that was suggested by uh, the great and um, now lamented um, Eric Ives. And um, I, would, uh, I would go with his date. It kind of fits in with the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about her when she was a small child? Um, well, she was only uh, 13 when she went to uh, Margaret of Austria's uh, court in the Netherlands. And she described her as uh, bright and pleasant for her young age. Um, so she was obviously 
you know, a, a spotted even then as a sort of clever and lively girl who was good company. And what was her life like um, at the court of Margaret? Well, she wasn't there for very long. She was only there uh, for a few for a few months, but it would have been, I suppose, her first introduction into continental society um, and helped uh, give her the sort of continental polish that she uh, developed while she was there and later in France and which she brought back to England. Was she um, sent on her own? She, well, her father was ambassador there, but yes, she was basically on her own. And then she was sent on her own to France uh, where Henry VIII's sister, um, Mary, called Mary rather like her Anne's sister, um, was uh, being married to the aged uh, King of France, who it was said she promptly killed with um, sort of wild sexual antics, which I think is probably rather unfair on her. Um, and uh, she married her, her lover out there, who's Henry VIII's best friend, uh, Charles Brandon, an event which would have been witnessed by Anne, which probably didn't endure her um, um, to uh, endear her rather to Henry's sister, who uh, never really liked her thereafter. There must have been really wild sexual antics to actually kill him. <laughs> I know, I know. Lord he knows was, what she was supposed was, to have been doing. He was very old. The thing about it in those days, I mean, one of the one of the ways that um, Catherine of Aragon was reputed to have killed um, um, Henry VIII's elder brother Arthur as well in the same manner. It was believed that teenage boys were particularly susceptible to female passion and uh, women were generally considered to be you know terribly terribly randy it was a sort of theory that dated back to the ancient greeks and they said that um we had cold wounds i don't know if i, if I should be telling you this because it's quite gross really, no it's but. great go on <laughs> yeah, cold, cold wounds and so um, to sort of make ourselves feel more comfortable, uh, we have to be sort of filled constantly with hot sperm. And, um, <laughs> Only a man could have written that. <laughs> so it made us incredibly randy. And, um, you know, we could barely control ourselves. And this was very dangerous to men. You know, and teenage boys were very you know, susceptible um, to, to um, succumbing to, to, to sort of, you know, female sexual aggression. So poor old Arthur, you know, snuffed it and um, being, being very young, and then the very old um, French king uh, married to um, Henry VIII's sister also succumbed, being rather frail. There's no way a woman wrote that. No, and of course not. <laughs> no, there's, there's some bloke who's never known the touch of a woman wrote that, no, exactly. clearly. <laughs> no, exactly. That's, that's, that, yes, exactly. I mean, there's so much, actually, the way they looked at women was shaped by that, that, that we were seducers and of course this was something that would also feed into Anne's life later that um um that 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 we are you know desperate to seduce men so Anne and her sister Mary they forge a really different reputation at the French court yes um well the French king Francis um later um said that um Mary Mary Boleyn uh, was you know a sort of notorious slut and whore and that he had uh, slept with her himself um she was also reputed to be a great beauty which is interesting both in england and in france um mary boleyn was said to be a great beauty uh, which was something which was never said of anne and i think that's a sort of interesting point of difference between them as well she was uh, i suppose the one maybe people were most superficially attracted to 
But yeah, I think Anne has something else about her, doesn't she? I think she's regarded as striking as opposed to beautiful. But already in France, she's got a very vibrant personality, hasn't she? And she's a skilled courtier. Yes, uh, she learns um, music, um, to sing and to play, uh, which certainly Henry VIII would like. He was very, he was very musical. She takes an interest in religious, ref in, in religious reform, um, which um, there's a lot sort of that going on in France at the time. And um, Claude, Queen Claude, who she served as a lady in waiting, was extremely sorry to see her go when she left late in 1521. Now, Anne actually comes home to England to get married, doesn't she? Yes, well, she comes home as well, partly because relations between England and France are slightly dicey, so she's sort of packed off home. Um, but, yes, her, her, her grandfather, the Duke of Norfolk, is quite keen to marry her into an Irish family called Butler for his own political reasons. But that sort of falls through, partly because Thomas Boleyn's a bit greedy. Uh, and then a very important young man called Henry Percy, who's the heir of the Earl of Northumberland falls in love with her. And the Percys were really sort of princes of the North. They're an incredibly important um, family um, in, 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 in the North. And so he's a, a great catch. Uh, he is unfortunately betrothed to someone else, but he's clearly madly in love with Anne, who, as you mentioned earlier, is extremely striking. She's not beautiful, but she has these incredible black eyes, which people describe as absolutely hypnotic. And uh, she has, she's incredibly chic and elegant. She's something exotic, different, intelligent. Um, and um, Henry Percy falls mad in love with her. She always apparently retained a, a certain amount of French accent as well, didn't she? Well, yes. Well, so <laughs> certainly that's very true in Hilary Mantel's novel. <laughs> um, which, and it does seem does seem quite likely that that she would have done. She was, you know, she was, she was, you know, she grew up in she grew up in France after all. And it's an interesting thought. I was at the moment I'm writing a book on on a later queen consort, Henrietta Maria, uh, who's married to Charles I and is a French princess. And I and I and it's it's been it's been striking me recently actually how much Anne Boleyn and Henrietta Maria have in common. These two French educated women who arrive in England to become very disliked. Uh, for not entirely dissimilar reasons. Um, Henry first sees Anne in about 1522, doesn't he? But at this point, he's more interested in her sister Mary. Yes, he has an affair with Mary Boleyn, which is very significant, as some uh, we'll probably come to later. Um, but it's evident that he's fallen in love with Anne, and he appears at a joust in the, dressed as a sort of tortured lover. Um, wearing something that reads, um, declare I dare not, um, I suppose because he's having to keep his passion for her secret. Where does Thomas Wyatt come into the picture at this point in the story? Well, Wyatt is a poet about court, and he is a married man, uh, and he is also, I think, in love with Anne, who he obviously sees as very, very striking. And he describes her as like a deer that um, is being pursued by presumably a pack of male hounds. And uh, she's wearing around her neck a chain that reads, uh, Noli mi changere, do not touch, 
um, for seas as I am. Um, and then what does it say? Um, though wild to hold, though I seem tame. And so Henry VIII is obviously in love with her, which means that all the other men who are interested in, in Anne have to fall away. And this puts Anne in a very, very difficult position because she's probably around 26 now. She's getting to an age when she really wants to marry. Um, and she finds that she can't because the king wants her. And so nobody else will step forward. She's going to miss her chance. And in those days, marriage was the only career open to a woman. Certainly a woman of her class. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it doesn't seem like at any point she sort of entertained the idea of just becoming the king's mistress and letting him get bored of her. And then, as you say, going on and, and finding a husband. Why is she able to stake a claim to be his queen when he already has one? in 1526 and the years following what's the issue well she doesn't realize at first that that's possible and so i think she holds back because she doesn't want to simply be a sort of passed over mistress like her sister she wants a greater marriage than her sister had um but i think she when the, the strength of henry's passion the fact that um he um believes that he can't have children with uh, Catherine of Aragon and makes her realise that Henry will marry her, that Henry wants to marry her and she hopes that he can marry her too. And he believes that there, it, is, you know, it is possible in church law. She must have had really had something about her because she manages to keep him hanging on for seven years. I know it is extraordinary, isn't it, that she wasn't dumped at any stage along, yeah. along the way. I mean, that really does say something very remarkable about her. I mean, yes, so, so Henry wants a new wife um, and he decides that he, he, you know, he, wants, he wants the woman he sees before him so much like his uh, grandfather, Edward IV, who, as I said, also married against all convention, married a woman he was in love with, um, and a, 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 in his case, and in Edward IV's case, a, wi a, a, a widow to boot, not even, not even a sort of virgin bride. Um, but, you know, he might have thought, okay, I'm bored of her now, and, you know, I'll find some other beauty around court, but he never did. So she, she obviously really was outstanding. Uh, and they had, um, I think, a very, you know, a, a, a meeting of intellects as well. I mean, she, he obviously had some respect for the things she had to say, so she was extremely influential. Um, Thomas Cromwell is her ally, ally at this point, isn't he? Not only because he's replaced Wolsey um, and is the one aimed, aiming for the divorce, but be both because he and Anne are religious reformers. I really find this interesting about her, that her, the marriage isn't her sole... Um, the extent of her ambition is it she she has smarts about us she has interest in things like religious reform yes absolutely this is a period of a religious reform um and it was before sort of the lutheran uh, reformation in 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 europe there was a, a move, movement called humanism uh, which people who would later become Protestants were members of, but also people who were, were, would remain very firmly Catholic, uh, including martyrs like uh, John Fisher and Thomas More. Um, but um, there was another movement, um, a sort of evangelical movement, which was particularly interested in, you know, the going back to the good news of the gospel and, and, and 
and was very interested in, you know, Bible reading and reading the Bible in English um, and translations of the Bible. That was some, and that was certainly an area, uh, an interest that she and Thomas Cromwell shared. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Anne almost dies, though, doesn't she, before she can marry Henry? Yes, uh, she got the sweating sickness in 1528. Um, now, this was an incredibly unpleasant uh, disease, and a very odd one, actually, now that we're living in a time of this pandemic, it's, it's, it, it is quite interesting. Because this disease appeared in England in um, 1485, at the time of the Battle of Bosworth. And it seems to have been brought to England by Henry VII's armies from France, ironically. Um, and it lasted for 100 years before it just disappeared. Again, we don't know why. It appeared, we don't know why. It disappeared, we don't know why. And it would kill people in a single day. Um, it's bonkers, uh, isn't it? It sounds like it sounds unbelievable, like Hollywood nonsense. Yes, it literally it is, is like people wake up feeling a little bit under the weather and they're dead by sundown. Absolutely, people of all ages, um, and um, and again, a bit like this current virus. You, some people, um, like my son, getting just losing his sense of taste and smell and had nothing else wrong with him. I had another son who seems to have had it and was really quite ill for two weeks. Um, but they're both young. And then you've got other people who I know who've ended up in intensive care. And uh, with, um, um, with the sweating sickness, and, you know, she was obviously felt a bit peaky. <laughs> and uh, Henry VIII sent his own private physician to go and see if she was all right. But she survived. She, was, she, she recovered from it fully. Um, she, uh, I'm interested as well in the fact that she doesn't have to wait to become queen to wield power, does she? She's already doing this before the divorce is finalised and before she is his queen. Absolutely. Um, she's very important to the French, for example, because she's a great Francophile. Um, and also in promoting religious reformers, people who share, helping to promote religious reformers who share her sort of views. Um, people like the future Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, uh, um, to name but one. And then she's finally crowned king, her queen in 1533, isn't she? She is, yes. She's crowned queen. There are vast crowds, um, but people don't like Anne. 
Um, and and I, as far as I remember, and there was one poor person, the crowd ends up being whipped actually for um, displaying their uh, um, anger or irritation about the um, coronation. Is there an element of, um, do they have to ferry in crowds? It wasn't popular, was it? Oh, I'm sure they didn't have to ferry. Well, maybe. I mean, you may, you may be remembering correctly. I don't remember anything about them ferrying in crowds because I think mm. whether you like someone or you don't like them, you know, it's a big event. You're going to want to go and see it. Yeah, there's um, no television, is there? <laughs> exactly. There's, exactly. There's no television. So, you know, uh, on a slow day, I think you definitely want to go and see a Queen's coronation. That didn't happen every day. Uh, but um, it certainly didn't mean that, that, there were, that there were no sort of wild cheers, I don't think, or very few wild cheers. Mm. She wasn't liked, particularly disliked by women uh, who, uh, who, felt, who felt betrayed in a way alongside Catherine of Aragon. Um, they didn't like the fact that Henry was sort of shuffling off a wife uh, who had been a very good uh, queen of England simply because uh, she'd been unlucky enough to have had babies who had died hadn't been able to produce a male heir and was now getting old. Yeah, no one likes the other woman, do they? Other women don't like the other woman. Exactly, exactly. Um, she dutifully does give birth to a daughter in 1533. Um, unfortunately for her, it is a girl, um, but it is Elizabeth. And then what happens? Well, I think Henry VIII is obviously disappointed, um, but... You know, she's had a baby, she's had a healthy child. This is not a bad sign. It means that she she can become pregnant, she can bear a child, a healthy child. So he hopes there's going to be a son next time round. Unfortunately, two miscarriages then follow, uh, the second of which is in January of uh, 1536. Um, and he begins to see a pattern repeating itself, the pattern that he had seen before with Catherine of Aragon. And he thinks that this marriage, too, may be cursed. And then it begins to unravel, doesn't it? What evidence is there that Anne overreached in terms of her position? Well, Anne chooses a bad moment to make a bad enemy in uh, Thomas uh, Cromwell. Um, because Henry VIII is obviously extremely disappointed in her. Um, but he can't think of any way to get rid of her. He can't simply divorce her in his mind because then that would be too much sort of like everyone would stand around saying, told you so, told you so. And he, he worried that it would, just, it, would, it would justify the Pope's previous opposition to his marriage. Uh, in fact, he becomes all the more determined in his anxiety, because I think he does want to divorce her. It makes him so sort of anxious and angry uh, that when he meets the imperial ambassador, uh, with whom he's supposed to be forming an alliance with Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, um, he starts arguing with him, saying that, you know, they've got to recognise his, his marriage to Anne and therefore his position as head of the church in England, which kind of messes up uh, what was supposed to be, you know, a new alliance. Um, and so Thomas Cromwell sees that, you know, Anne's very existence is becoming a threat to a major shift in foreign policy. And she also makes the mistake of attacking uh, Cromwell personally on another issue over which they disagree. And that is the issue of what should happen to the dissolved monasteries. Anne believes that uh, the money from the dissolved monasteries should be sort of reinvested into the monasteries, that you know, bad monasteries should go, the good, the best ones should stay, 
um, but they should become um, institutions of education. They should become like sort of schools, effectively. Whereas Thomas Cromwell wants just to dissolve them and uh, take all their wealth from their land and their buildings and um, pour it into, the, into Henry's pockets. Um, she also, as well, she has another major enemy, um, but it perhaps doesn't, or it doesn't have the same effect as Thomas Cromwell, but she's terrified of Mary, the uh, king's daughter, isn't she? And she treats her terribly. Yes, yeah, she says of Mary, she is my death and I am hers. Um, and this is because Mary is greatly loved. At the moment, Anne only has a daughter, Elizabeth, and the king has another daughter, of course, in Mary, uh, who is greatly loved, who, over whom there are no questions of legitimacy, although um, Henry goes on uh, to make her illegitimate, doubtless at Anne's pressing. Um, and uh, so she's an obvious threat to Elizabeth's position and indeed to, to Anne. So Anne takes this out on, on Mary, her anger. And Mary is sort of constantly, as a constant reminder as well of, of Catherine of Aragon's fate. And what is happening to her relationship with Cromwell, um, which I, I just think it is her, um, it's as important as a relationship with Henry and it just continues to decline, doesn't it? Yes, well, I suppose the sort of the, the sort of the, the reasonable crux moment comes when um, her almoner um, gives a sermon in her private chapel, uh, in which he dis he sort of compares uh, Thomas Cromwell to uh, an evil, a biblical evil counsellor um, called, from memory, Haman, uh, and says that you know, and points out that Haman ends up being executed. I think Thomas Cromwell realises at this point that it could be his head or Anne's, and he's determined it's going to be Anne's. At the beginning of 1536, her position should have been stronger, am I right? And at this yeah. point, she's pregnant again, and then Catherine dies. Yes, yes, it all seems to be going, all seems to be going um, well until, until uh, the miscarriage um, and the and her falling out uh, with um, with Thomas Cromwell, uh, and also, of course, just to complicate matters further, Henry is hanging out with um, this other lady at court, um, Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour. Um, <laughs> got to tell us what you make of her because I love this. You're not having this mousy little. Um... No, no, no. I don't. I, I, I find I find Jane Seymour deeply uh, creepy. Uh, <laughs> And I don't go, I don't think this is mousy little thing at all. I think that, I think that she deliberately models herself partly on Catherine of Aragon. Uh, now, people often think of Catherine of Aragon as, um, you know, a brunette, because in sort of film and things, she's often portrayed you know, as, you know, uh, sort of our sort of idea of a Spaniard, which is sort of somebody from the, from the, from, from the South with, 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 with black hair and black eyes. She wasn't like that at all, actually. Most Spaniards aren't, indeed. And she had uh, sort of strawberry blonde hair, uh, as indeed does Jane Seymour. And um, so she looks quite like Catherine. And she, she wants to behave quite like Catherine because Henry's marriage to, Cat to Catherine of Aragon was actually very successful for most of it. They got on extremely well. Uh, and Anne was, I mean, Catherine, I'm sorry, Catherine was, you know, actually a, a tough old cookie. He was the only queen of whom Henry VIII was genuinely ever afraid. 
uh, and unsurprisingly so, because her mother was Isabel of Castile, a great warrior queen who kicked the Moors out of Spain. And um, <clears throat> Catherine of Aragon herself uh, was made Lieutenant General of, of Henry VIII's armies in the war with Scotland. When he was in France, she was dealing with James IV in Scotland. When that battle was won, uh, she very much wanted to send uh, James's head to Henry in France and had to be told that you know, the English thought this was rather gross and could she sort of kindly not do so. Um, but anyway, so she was a sort of tough cookie. But at the same time, she would play the role. She, 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 she wouldn't argue with Henry in quite the way that Anne would. And she could play the submissive wife. So she would sort of sew the banners that would be sent into battle. And, and Jane was doing the same thing, kind of soothing Henry, making him feel rather than quarrelling with him like Anne would do, and shouting at him and arguing back. Um, she was sort of soothing him in her mind. And I, and I think this was a deliberate ploy. If you look at her brothers, uh, Thomas Seymour uh, and um, the future, and Edward Seymour, the future Lord Protector, Duke of Somerset, these were clever men. There was certainly nothing mousy about them. They were both kind of dramatic figures. Jane didn't live for very long, but I think there was probably a lot more going on there than, 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 than we've been led to believe. I think you make a great point that you can't really be that shy of retiring and end up in Henry VIII's court as Queen of England. Yeah, exactly. Ruthless she was, clearly extremely ruthless, which is just sort of unbelievable, really. Gross. Yeah, and creepy. It's <laughs> like making love to this man while his wife's head is still sort of rolling around in the hay, pretty much. Yeah, it's like you say, ruthless. But all of this really all comes back to the lack of a male heir, doesn't it? I mean, why is Henry panicking in 1536? He's getting, he's getting older. Uh, and uh, it is, you know, it is a real weakness in a king not to have a male heir. Um, you know, it's possible that somebody else might come forward. You know, as, his, as, his, as he starts to decline, people are going to start looking to who comes next. Um, are they going to look to Scotland, to his nephew, um, James V? Are they going to look closer to home? Um, he gets extremely worried um, when his niece, Margaret Douglas, marries, secretly marries a Howard um, and um, imprisons them both. Uh, you know, he's beginning to panic. Um, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about Anne's rise and how she got where she did. Um, which has teed us up nicely for part three, which is going to deal with her fall. Uh, she just clearly isn't um, an idiot, is she? She's clearly a very smart woman, um, a very clever woman when it comes to uh, how she operates. And um, as we will learn, uh, it, it took utter, <laughs> well, for want of a better word, it took utter shithousery to bring her down, didn't it? Yes, no, it definitely did. Um, and one of the things I find quite interesting, as I do wonder actually if Thomas Seymour had, a, not Thomas Seymour, if Thomas Cromwell had a bit of a thing about women. He was involved directly in the execution of a number of women, extraordinary executions of women, of whom Anne was one. Um, but that's another, that's another matter. 
absolutely um but one that it would be great if someone took it up maybe that can be your next book yeah, yes. <laughs> but promise us you will come back on to talk to us about um charles the first because we've had a program about uh, cromwell and the uh, republic and it would be great to go back and and cover charles definitely i'd like to do that very much join us for our next installment in our Anne Boleyn day when we will be talking to lauren mckay about her father thomas and her brother george it's gonna be really interesting because uh, she's probably going to challenge your assumptions and what you think you know about both of them um so join us a little bit later on for that don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month uh, by going to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It's much appreciated and will keep us going in the aftermath of the coronavirus crisis. There now follows a public service announcement. I'm Horatia Hornblower. And I'm Archie Kennedy. The simplest gift you can give in these troubled times is to obey orders. Indeed. The regulations are very clear in the matter. It is the duty of all of us to remain at anchor until the little people in the talking box signal you otherwise. You don't want to end up getting flogged. Good day to you. Good day to you both. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.